Hello and welcome back to another episode of Let's Check In. I'm your host Levine, a soon-to-be trainee clinical psychologist in September and this podcast is all about mental health, psychology, general life and my journey to and through the doctorate. Today we're checking in on work experience and I have my friend here with me. Um, I say friend because she genuinely is. Um, So we're going to be talking a bit more about work experience because we both have different routes um, to kind of getting clinical or like psychological experience. Um, But before we get into it, I forgot to always, I always forget to do this, but go follow my Instagram page. It's called Let's Check In Pod. So L-E-T-S. C-H-E-C-K-P-O-D on Instagram. Um, If you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening, make sure you click follow, subscribe, whatever the term is. Just make sure you're following so then you get notified when I upload a new episode. Um, So yeah, just get that all out the way and now we can get on with it. So um, yeah, like I said, I really wanted to have this um, episode done with this particular lovely lady because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because um, she has done different things for me. So we haven't had the same sort of path and we also are not pursuing the same sort of career. So I thought it'd be really good to have, um, I'm going to introduce her in a second so she doesn't sound so mysterious, <laughs> but I'm gonna, um, I thought it was really good to have her on because yeah, I thought it would be a good way to see how you can get experience to learn what you might want to do, what you might not want to do, and then maybe help figure out where you want to go eventually. Um, yeah, so without further ado, Sneha, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi everyone. Um, so thank you so much for having me, Levine. It's oh. an honour to be on here. <laughs> and yeah, so my name is Sneha. I am a part-time caseworker for vulnerable adults at a charity based in Richmond. And I'm also a part-time counselling trainee. So I'm doing my master's in integrative counselling and psychotherapy. Just finished my first year. Okay, brilliant. Thanks. Really concise. I like it. I like it. Um, <laughs> so, oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah so Sneha is um working part-time and also studying part-time and if you picked up on it she's doing a course in integrative counseling which is different from what I'm doing so I'm going to be doing a doctorate in clinical psychology so like you see we both have different experiences well you'll see we have different experiences but we also are pursuing different things um but the thing is that we both met as colleagues so we both used to work in an IAP service and for anyone who doesn't know what that means IAP stands for improving access to psychological therapies um, and it's an NHS um, service for people who are wanting to get support for common mental health difficulties like depression anxiety that sort of thing so we worked there together um Mm. ironically we did not do the PWP course did we no we did not no we did not so we <laughs> both were graduate mental health workers and um, so if you've listened to my previous episode or seen any of my um posts on instagram actually there's only one post but you know um, you'll know i spoke about this uh because i didn't do the pwp training which is the psychological well-being practitioner training which is now required by the way so yeah we were the um old lot of people who could get away without doing this training but now mm. you actually have to yeah which kind of contributed to a lot of things we will talk about this later anyway yeah, so um <laughs> yeah so me and sneha yeah started working together in iap services um 
it was really good like I said in my last episode I really enjoyed working there it was it was really good in the sense of like experience and stuff um but we both had different experience leading up to that point before actually working together so Sneha do you want to explain a little bit more about your experience or kind of actually what was your first kind of um introduction to psychology and what made you want to kind of go down this route so my first introduction to a psychology-based role was during my undergraduate degree in psychology and we had a placement year so mine was a research assistant and academic summer school coordinator and that was so yeah the research assistant role was purely psychology based research and it was amazing it was so much fun but I realized that I do not want to do that for a career <laughs> I don't want to do it full time how comes why didn't you want to do it I suppose my interests always lay even at that point it was always with working directly with people in a therapeutic role mm. um, and then you know research assistant involved a lot of behind the scenes work which obviously was essential and it was amazing experience but it just wasn't giving me it wasn't fulfilling me it was fun yeah. but not fulfilling no I feel you yeah yeah mm. cool and so even before that before you started like psychology undergrad what made you even want to st- do a psychology degree so I did psychology for A-level. I always knew, even when I was like 14, that, oh, I'll do psychology at A-level. And my brother used to do these like fun experiments on me that he got what? for his homework. <laughs> you know, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so <laughs> for your brother's psychology homework? Yeah, so he did. Like, he went to the same secondary school as me. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, <laughs> and he, and he did psychology at A level. So you know those tests they tell you to take home and do on people. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Research studies. So he did a couple of those on me, and I was very intrigued by them. And like everyone at the tender young age, you think, oh, if I do psychology, it means I'll learn to read people's minds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not strictly the case, but it I drew know. me in. Um, yeah so at a level I always thought I would do English creative writing at university but I realized that I didn't want to be an author Um, Mm. so there's not much I could go into it with full time and it didn't seem lucrative so I thought ah a more lucrative option is (laughs) psychology oh wow (laughs) how How naive of me (laughs) blissfully naive oh my god yeah yeah and then that's it that that was my entry into the undergraduate degree in psychology Right. Okay. So then you were doing um, a split role, doing a bit of research, doing a bit of student stuff. Um, And then what did you do after that? So after that, oh, and a bit in between, I, um, during my second year of university, I also volunteered with a reading scheme at a local primary school, just to get some experience of working with people um, in a support-based role. And then I graduated from uni, had no idea what I was doing or where I wanted to go. And I think I was so clueless about, you know, the falling in and I was falling into the trap of needing experience to get experience. And I was like blindly applying for assistant psychologist roles, not doing that. I was like, I was nowhere near qualified for them. And so eventually I started volunteering at Mind as a peer support volunteer and activity facilitator uh, for things like guitar group or arts and crafts. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that that was brilliant. (laughs) 
<laughs> there you go hearing about my life story um, so that that was really interesting and it was a lot of challenging work one-to-one and in groups so it was not therapeutic based it was support based but I really really learned about boundaries mm. and and just talking to people person to person and I definitely had to use that and reinforce that and develop that uh, when I moved to mm-hmm. Bristol uh, for a role. It was it's actually a bit of a mouthful. So it's called Behavioural Healthcare Support Worker. Okay. And it's basically a one to one healthcare assistant role, but with people who had neurological impairments like dementia, right. Huntington's, okay. Parkinson's, brain injuries. And what was meant to be a one-to-one support role often ended up one-to-three or one-to-four because we're chronically short-staffed. So that that was probably one of my most challenging roles to date um, Mm. with minimal training as well in conflict resolution, which was often what we had to do. Mm-hmm. oh by the way Sneha wasn't just swanning off in Bristol she went to uni <laughs> so... <laughs> oh no I didn't I didn't know <laughs> I no, didn't. Did. so what were you doing in Bristol <laughs> I actually did just swan off there <laughs> oh you did yeah. I thought you went to uni where did you go to uni oh University of Surrey in Guildford oh yeah of course because we've <laughs> had this conversation yeah. yeah actually so she did just swan off to Bristol yeah. Never mind. <laughs> yeah I mean I, I love the city but yeah yeah but to be fair, actually, this actually speaks to what we were talking about um, before, about wanting, falling into the trap of needing experience to get experience and stuff. Mm. Um, and I guess what was the main thing that kind of took you to Bristol? I think it was just I wanted to do something and go somewhere. And I just, I don't know, I think I just wanted a change of scenery again. So mm. I obviously lived in Guildford University. Then I came back home after I graduated and just felt like I wanted just my own space to grow and do my own thing um and it was for a short time but I don't know I basically just swanned off there for a starter job (laughs) I knew I was doing that but I thought I'll come home in a bit it's fine yeah this is the thing so like for me I had that whole kind of dilemma of like should I just like we keep saying swan off but like should I just go off somewhere (laughs) else and like try and get experience because I found that it was really competitive to get experience in London um Mm. because literally everyone wants to live well not everyone but you know a lot of people want to live here because there's more job opportunities so I had that whole thing of like oh should I just go off to like Birmingham and trying to get a job there because mm. sometimes there would be um job availabilities but I guess for you you're just like yeah I'm just gonna go to Bristol and it worked out I guess because you said you learned a lot about some things that you were able to apply later on as well yeah so I definitely learned it was again it reinforced the person-to-person communication and relationship and that was what was needed when I was trying to help people manage their behavior which was very aggressive very distressed Mm. very confused and that was a really really challenging role I felt utterly drained after that so yeah that that was um it was it was great experience again but you know I, I I look back and think how on earth did I do that and I think a lot of us coming out of psychology degrees do end up in those roles sometimes with great training that's really effective and some with minimal training and then Mm. we just sort of bumble along and learn as we go along and find some nurturing mentors and go with it yeah if that you know if that (laughs) yeah but yeah 100% I agree because it's just kind of like you take what you can and then you just try Mm. and roll with punches um so yeah, so that was Bristol. You were there for how long? Oh God, I think it was nearly a year, maybe okay, 10 so to 12 yeah. months. So really not long at all. I just swan back to London. <laughs> just came on back. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you came back, what did you do? 
So I came back and I started volunteering again at Mind because, again, it was difficult to, one, know where I wanted to go and actually get a role that I might have wanted. So I went back to my old voluntary job at Mind. And then one of this is one of my favourite ever roles. So I started working with young people at a college um, in southwest London. And that was amazing because I didn't think that I'd ever want to, not that I wouldn't want to work with teenagers, but I thought like, I don't know it's been a long time since I was a teenager like yeah. I didn't I didn't really know if I'd be good at that role but it turns out I was so yeah. that that was that was lovely and I learned a lot I learned a lot from the young people about finding humor in everything don't lose your sense of humor mm-hmm. and just and you know it, it was such a bright happy fun again challenging role and I was learning support and pastoral support yeah so, yeah yeah so that yeah was, so yeah so done. But, yeah, so I was just saying that's me sort of going from one end of the lifespan to the other in a way. Yeah, I was going to just literally say, like, you literally covered it all, dementia, everything, young people, um, so you kind and adults in between as well. Um, and then so after you were working with the young in the college, that's after that you went to IAPS, isn't it? No. So there's oh, actually a bit in between. Oh my gosh, this girl. <laughs> She's done so much. <laughs> so I've actually hopped around a lot and I upped was the first page role that I held down for over a year. So wow. I was really jumping about trying to find my way. And so after I worked in the college, I worked as a dementia advisor with the Alzheimer's Society. Mm-hmm. So back to working with older adults and Again, yeah, back into a site, not a similar role, but with a similar cohort of people, but mm-hmm. they were, or not cohort, similar similar group of people, yeah. um, but they were more the early stages of dementia than in Bristol when it was maybe the late stages or end of life. Mm-hmm. And after that, I went back to working with young people, oh <laughs> yeah, because I, you know, the, the whole sort of um, vibe and management and just ins and outs of the role weren't quite for me um so I went Mm -hmm. back to working with young people and the backdrop of all of this when I moved back to London was that I started volunteering at a mental health helpline and okay yeah that that was I think my push into exploring a a career in counselling and really focusing on that and I think that's again that's also been one of my favourite roles till date Mm-hmm. I remember this because someone else who we also worked with also did the same sort of thing isn't it the, mm. um, yeah and I remember you both talking about it and I was like yeah I because I actually volunteered for the same sort of thing and yeah. I was like I cannot do this like I'm not cut out for this <laughs> so hearing you two talk about doing it I remember thinking wow like it takes a lot of um resilience I guess to be able to manage and hold and sit with people's emotions in that way which I guess mm. kind of we're not going to skip ahead but kind of leads back into counseling but we'll get there but yeah anyway so then <laughs> yeah. after after the helpline so it's also during the helpline as well I was mm-hmm. I had another voluntary job with a charity in London they're based um nationally but not all areas and they have a quite a strong base in London and I formed a support group with oh yeah sex offender <laughs> recently released from prison and this is our so job as can you sorry stay hard sorry yeah. this is so interesting this is probably one of the most interesting <laughs> things I've ever heard anyone do so can you really Ooh. explain like this role because okay obviously you like within reason because I know it's a really confidential role so go ahead sure so I'll start with how I found it I found it through a website called doit.org so that's my go-to place for looking for volunteering opportunities and 
again, I was fresh back from Bristol. I was like, what do I do now? And I just started looking for voluntary roles to get me started and see which areas I'd be most interested in. This one caught my eye because it was such an unusual role. I'd not come across this in a voluntary capacity before and mm. I knew it would challenge me. So the purpose of this is that, you know, in, in within, a, a, you know, your preferred areas that you put down, you get to, they arrange, um, the charity arranges a support group and it will be, it was me and a few other volunteers and then one sex offender who was recently released from prison and our job was to help safely rehabilitate them back into society yeah. so that's practical support and emotional support looking out for risk factors or yeah. you know triggers for harmful sexual behavior and that was fascinating because it but it, it, it along with all the sort of clinical based training and a little cpd certificate on the side what <laughs> i what it brought home to me was the person-to-person communication obviously Mm. with boundaries so we didn't disclose anything about our personal lives or where we work or even our surnames but Mm. communicating with them as a person because they're still human beings and that you know that for me that is how I've been reached and that is how I would like to try and reach people yeah no that I remember when you've told me about this in the past I was like what like how did you even get this wrong because it just to me it sounded so intense like it sounds like something you would do if you was working forensics or mm. um yeah like basically um a bit more than just volunteer like I felt like what they were asking you to do was way more than like a voluntary role um mm. In terms of like emotionally, um, just, yeah, it's just a quite heavy role to be doing. Um, and I know that that role was something that, um, when we've spoken about this as well, like there was a bit of a, like you said, like difficult role. It challenged mm. you um, mm. quite a bit as well. So I think those, this is what I'm, I've said before as well, like don't dismiss things that you don't necessarily think are cookie cutter roles or like so mm. AP roles or RA roles so assistant psychologist roles sorry or research assistant roles because things like what Sneha just said um those are such good ways of getting experience um mm. so yeah anyway little diversion back back to back to your career path go ahead well yeah I completely agree about not just looking at cookie cutter roles and look at volunteering definitely yeah it's a really fantastic way to dip your toe into different areas and see what you like and indeed with circles a lot of the volunteers were wanting to go into forensic psychology and mm. that was kind of their their step in. So Circles, um, sorry, that's what the charity was called. And <laughs> the Mental Health Helpline, they were both a backdrop for about uh, two and a half years when I was doing my other work, my other various forays. And then entered IABD. So hey, we're here now. Such <laughs> 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 a meandering journey. I actually was going to ask you, so obviously... A lot of these roles, some of them were like voluntary roles, charity roles mm. and things. How did you feel about the fact that you weren't, even though you had a degree, even though you had like other experience from other things, how did you feel about the fact that you still weren't necessarily being paid for these things that you were qualified to do or not qualified necessarily in terms of like mm. a certificate or such, but qualified in the terms of experience? How did you feel about the fact that there still wasn't like financial provision available for you 
I think in terms of the voluntary roles, I, I don't think I, I considered that much because I kind of I really appreciated and valued them for what they gave me, the experience. Mm. And they seemed to really appreciate me as well. And what one of the things um, that's most precious to me that I gained from those roles is nurturing mentors. I think I've I mentioned nurturing yeah, mentors before, yeah. but they've been very pivotal in my journey so far. And they, you know, they they really it's not just a professional development it was a personal development and mm. that's what they sort of focused on but there was definitely there were long periods where I felt really quite poo that I was still in <laughs> starter roles I was going from starter role to starter yeah, role no yeah. matter how much I loved them no matter how much experience they gave me um no matter how much they fulfilled me I still felt like when am I going to progress mm. and then mm. I realized that the progress in psychology does not have to be the most popular way it does not have yeah, to be um, sort of clinical psychology doctorate although that's amazing I was starting to figure out maybe that wasn't for me and mm. I keep hinting at, at IAPT and then, then, <laughs> and then IAPT was pivotal in that sense as well. <laughs> so now we get to IAPT because <laughs> this is where <laughs> All right. So first of all, disclaimer, right? We are not bashing IAP services at no, all because no. it's really important to remember that each IAP service is different. No. Um, IAP as a structure in itself, mm, we'll, we'll get to that. But we'll there, um, we'll yeah, it it is amazing it works really well for some things and that's the key thing to hold in mind it works well for some things but for others it doesn't it just does because it's just not it's just not enough time it's not enough resources it's just not yeah it's just not going to cover everything that you need to cover um I say that being that say I say that meaning sorry that some people who come into the services are much more severe than they actually um, and they need more support than what we can offer so Anyway, we'll go back. <laughs> we'll go back. We will. We will. We came. We come to IAP, and so Sneha. So I started in oh gosh, October um, of two thousand seventeen, and then Sneha, you started. Was it, it Christmas? Was, it was. Oh, we've had this. We've had this confusion. It was conversation. It was, was, <laughs> it was June twenty eighteen. June. <laughs> <laughs> Way off. <laughs> well <laughs> never mind I always felt like you started in Christmas I don't know why I, know, I, like before. I, don't... <laughs> I don't know why I have this <laughs> okay never mind scratch that well I was there for a good six months <laughs> no, plus actually like eight months really before mm. Sneha joined um and I was a keen eager bee I think I've mentioned this before like I'm a bit of a um a eager beaver when it comes to these roles so yeah like I loved it first of all and bear in mind that I also had worked in IAP service before this um mm. but in voluntary roles so I loved it at first um and then the stress <laughs> got to me <laughs> the stress got to me so if anyone's worked in IAP services you will know it is not for the faint-hearted um mm. it is the workload is quite enormous like honestly it's an amazing role in terms of what you actually get to do and who you help but in my experience, it was just, it was a lot. A lot is required of you. Um, that's not to put anyone off because you can have an amazing career in IAPS. You know, you can like start as a PWP, work your way up to high intensity, um, high intensity, what is it? High intensity CBT therapist. Whoa, mine went blank. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, so it's, I started in October. Sneha came in June, apparently. I don't remember this, but <laughs> yeah. she came along. And what was your experience when you first joined? Because bear in mind, we both had the same role. 
so my experience when I first joined was that you know you were all quite seasoned by the time I got there and <laughs> seasoned um my outfit totally yeah. <laughs> and I thought oh they make it look so easy like you know they're pros and when I when I got into it um and I really started um getting a high caseload, doing all sorts of different things with an eye apt, I realised that, yes, I can make it look easy to the naked eye, but really it's not an inside. I'm like a volcano of stress. And that was what was um, going on for me at that point. I mean, like you said, it is amazing experience and I'm really glad I got to do it. But for me, it wasn't enough. It wasn't fulfilling enough at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the main things is that when you're working in such a limited um, capacity. So for those who don't know, you normally only have about four sessions of guided self-help, which is like, I don't want to say watered down version of CBT. How else would you say it? It's I, like would say, a very, well, I, I would say maybe a bit filtered. A filtered version. Filtered, of low CBT. level version. Yeah, it's actually called low intensity CBT. Um, I think it's the official term for it. But yeah, you only have four sessions of that with someone and each session is half an hour. So it, a lot can be done if someone hasn't got, you know, severe needs. But if someone's really, really um, in a difficult situation or having long-standing episodes of depression or, you know, a, a long historical um, uh, symptoms of anxiety, like it's not four sessions or 30 minutes isn't really going to do much. So I think, I don't want to speak for you, but for me, I felt very much like I was just putting a plaster. Well, yeah, that's exactly the analogy that came into my head. Is sometimes it was putting a sticky plaster on and sometimes the plaster wasn't even sticky enough or effective enough. And it was quite frustrating and it was quite demoralising at times, especially when clients would say to me, I just want someone to talk to. I just want to talk. And then, you know, there was such such a very limited scope for counselling, for providing counselling within our service of IAPT. And I really felt like, am I actually helping that many people? And I'm sure, you know, I was and we did. But for me, it just felt like I can, I can see that people know what they want, but we're just not able to provide it. And I think commonly the language could, can be sometimes that, oh, they're not suitable for this treatment. But I mm. feel like we could actually change that and say this treatment isn't suitable for them. There is something out there for them, but this is not it because CBT is not the holy grail. Yeah. So what made you think you were more suited to a counselling approach? Well, it was the mental health helpline, like I said, that really got me focusing on providing emotional support and giving a space. And then oh, I forgot as well, among the backdrop of all of that were two counselling skills and studies courses that I did. Oh, yeah, so that was the that was the foundation training. And they were part time. The first one was one full day a week. The second one was one evening a week for several months and they just gave me an introduction into what it says on the tin counseling skills and what it would be like to study counseling and then doing the graduate mental health worker role in IAPT I realized that I'd okay I'd love this experience this is what I've wanted to try for such a long time I've got a lot in my toolbox from this but it just shoved me towards a career in counseling <laughs> Because when you know, when I was talking to clients doing treatments or triages, I really wanted to give them a space, and I knew mm. that I couldn't because obviously it was time limited. Um, there were lots of things we have to abide by in IAP so that it, it's a smooth running machine. But mm. yeah, I think at the heart of it was that I just wanted to 
I can't really explain what counselling is despite doing a master's in yeah. it but I, just, I just wanted to be with people in the moment and let them have space if that's what they wanted yeah, yeah. no I get what you're saying because you don't really have space for that like I said it's 30 minute sessions once a week for four weeks like mm. you can't really have space um so I guess that kind of made you want to go into counselling and now thinking back um retrospectively what would you say has been the thing that has taught you the most about sitting with clients, being with people, really having that moment, like you said, giving them space, but also having that moment to help them help themselves, if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense, but do you get what I mean? I get what you mean. And I think that would have been the mental health helpline. So I was there for such a long time, two and a half years, and you never know when you pick up the phone who it's going Mm. to be, what they'll be coming with, what they'll want from you. Mm. And and also it's what I felt so connected with was, uh, you know, it wasn't a counselling role, it was an emotional support and mental health support type of role. But I felt very connected with providing the emotional support. And Mm. where I felt connected with it, I was more myself I, I just I was yeah I was I could bring myself to it whereas with IAPT as much as I felt passionate about CBT and really enthusiastic about learning it and delivering it at the end of the day when I'd done a good long time at IAPT I realized that I was just losing my connection with it I just mm-hmm. didn't feel it and with counseling I actually feel like it's something that I want to do it's something that I believe in quite wholeheartedly obviously it's not for everyone um, but it's something that I believe in it's it's something that is very linked to personal growth personal development over time and I think that's real life Mm, no I agree I agree I think there is different modes for different people Mm. some like if you're very much like goal driven and um practical base then I think CBT does have that its merits there because it is a lot more about okay this one feeling how can I practically solve it how can I do something and how can I reach this goal by doing x y and z um whereas if you just want to express and I'm not saying just express because I know you do um have some practical skills especially with integrative counseling um but I think CBT mm. isn't really a space to talk um where counseling is very much so um, so I have this thing I don't like leaving or closing the episodes without tips because I think it's great for us to chat but mm. I really think it's important to give people again this is a CBT talking practical tips um, so that they can actually <laughs> get something from this so what would be your top tips for getting experience or figuring out what you want to do in terms of is it clinical is it counseling is it psychotherapy is it whatever you know um Mm. forensics whatever what would be your tips I think my tips would be to dive straight in there Mm. and don't hesitate in looking up roles or applying for roles or interviewing for roles that catch your eye and above all what's helped me the most has been volunteering it helped me get a leg up into psychology and mental health it taught me a lot you know theoretically and practically and personally and it was also a way for me to try lots of different roles um and if I you know if if they weren't for me then I could do a decent amount of time there and then leave to something you know try something else that was maybe more up my street but definitely volunteer and just dive in and take opportunities as they come do as much CPD as you can and mm-hmm. and yeah just find yourself in the process as well I think that's a big thing in psychology when you're yeah. when we're jumping around trying to find roles that suit us and trying to get experience we learn a lot about ourselves so don't forget about you 
Mm, really good, actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would echo what Sneha said. Um, I said in the last episode, my top tips was getting a mentor. And I think Sneha would agree with this as well about mm. mentoring was really key. Um, getting a mentor, it doesn't have to be someone that's literally there with you 24 seven throughout the whole process, but it could be someone you just have to check in with maybe once or twice um, a year, even it doesn't have to be consistent. Um, and yeah, I would also say, yeah, alternative job roles, you know, like what Sneha did, lots of different volunteering. But another thing I would just say is be persistent, be encouraged as well, even though it may be difficult it is there is space for everyone okay actually no let me take that back it's not space (laughs) for everyone (laughs) not everyone but there is space for you if you are someone who has what it takes to 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 do this job um like work in psychology the space so it may not be a space in the terms of like a clinical psychologist or a counsellor but there is space for you in some capacity so don't feel a bit disheartened when you get the I don't know the 10th um interview rejection or whatever Mm. like you just keep going especially if it's something you definitely want to work in an area you definitely want to work in um so yeah that's really I feel like we should probably have another episode talking about IAPS you know for sure (laughs) I had a lot of things I wanted to say but I'm wary of the time because you know guys I don't like being longer than 30 minutes so um yeah I think we'll probably just do another episode on IAPT just alone but um thank you all for listening like I said it's Levine it is let's check in pod on Instagram go and check it out go follow go subscribe yes (laughs) let's get excited about this um I'm actually really happy because people have been DMing me on Instagram like asking for stuff and I'm like yes if one person is listening this helps um someone so yeah um don't feel shy like you can dm me um i reply and yeah so until next time i've been levine this has been sneha and we'll see you soon because we're going to do another episode so bye bye everyone